Praise the Lord, everyone. Pastor Fields here. And you know what time it is. It's time to go into God's Word. And I thank God, as always, for another opportunity for us to come together to go into the Word of the Lord. God's Word is good all the time. I love His Word. Don't know how you feel about it, but I need His Word day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. His Word keeps us alive. His word, there's power and healing and deliverance all in his word. And I'm grateful. And we're going to continue in our series on tonight. But before we do, let's have a word of prayer as the saints of God are still coming in. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we thank you for this another opportunity to go into your word. We're going into your word. So your word can come into us. Bless us one by one, everyone that connects with us on tonight. I pray that you would speak to their hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been in this series, A Letter from Jesus. And uh, during this series, we've been looking at the letters that were written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, and if you looked on a map today, it would be Turk, where Turkey is today. Uh, and there are messages that the Lord is sending to his children. I believe that the words that Jesus spoke to the seven churches in the first century, uh, they're not just ancient history, but it's, it is good for us even today to hear what the Lord is saying to his church they actually reveal a spiritual condition uh, of the church of God throughout history. And they explain uh, how you can resist the pull of an error that is rapidly turning away from God. Even today, people are rapidly turning away from God. And of course, as forestated, chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, they explain the history of God's church. Uh, where it has gone astray, uh, and of course, what we need to do about it. So as forestated, as we rehash uh, the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, describe actual conditions. In each church at the end of the first century AD, and however, the letters are also prophetic. They speak to us prophetically about future things. Seven churches were geographically arranged. Remember, I said in sequence, it was a mail route in Western Asia. I should say Western Asia Minor. Uh, and many Bible scholars realized that the sequence portrays seven eras, E-R-A-S, of God's church from the days of the apostles to the end of the age, to the end of the church age, to the days of the apostles, all the way up to when Jesus Christ comes to rapture his church. And the church conditions described in the letters, they prophetically describe conditions that would prevail in each successive era. So when John addresses us in the book of Revelation, 
Uh, he writes in verse 4, chapter 1, to the seven churches, indicating that the letters to each church were to be read in all the churches. Why? Because we can all benefit. We are learning not only what to do, but we're learning what not to do. So, um, let's rehash some more. The letters to the seven churches are revealing serious deviation from the New Testament apostolic standard of truth and righteousness. And again, there goes that word apostolic. Uh, and I've already gotten some, some kickbacks. You have some church folk that hate the word apostolic. You're, you're starting a new reformation. It's not a reformation or a religion. It simply means that we follow the teachings of the apostles. It is not a new religion. It is not a separate religion. Uh, we are simply following the teachings of Jesus Christ, passed them down to the apostles and the apostles and growing the church continued on teaching the word of God. Uh, so John writes on Christ's behalf and he is rebuking their compromise and sin and he's calling the church to repent and return to their first love. So, um, We've been to Ephesus. That was the first church. Uh, we've been to Smyrna. We've been to Pergamos. We've been to Thyatira. That was all in the second chapter of the book of Revelation. Now we're moving into the third chapter tonight. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And we are 33 miles southeast of Thyatira. Um, and this area called Sardis. Sardis is the church we're talking to tonight, concerning about tonight. Uh, it was once an impregnable Acropolis. Uh, and this is the place, if you remember, uh, I used to watch it on TV. I even had a book as a child, Aesop's Fables. Uh, this is where the storyteller uh, this is the place he comes from. ASAP comes out of Sardis. Uh, he comes out of this area. Uh, so this is the place where ASAP told his fables. We enjoy them even today. Um, it was a Persian Acropolis. Uh, and, of course, uh, before the gospel was preached here, uh, heavy, even during uh, the lifetime of this church, uh, many were worshiping uh, other gods, right? And, but the gospel was preached here, uh, and an apostolic church was established in Sardis. And this is where we are tonight. Um, let's read. And, and the subject, of course, uh, still a letter from Jesus, but tonight we're talking about the dead church the dead church. Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. And under the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he, that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. 
Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh. The same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, there are only, I would say there are only a few comments that are made about Sardis. Uh, it's a city that was once famous for arts and crafts, and it was a wealthy place at one time. And um, if you want to correspond Sardis historically within the era uh, where uh, this church actually flourished, it would correspond to the church era from about the 16th century uh, to the early 20th century. 16th century to the early 20th century. The main description uh, of the Sardis era is that it was a dead church. My, my. Revelation 3 and 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things. Saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and are dead. So although it had a recognizable name, uh, and here we're, we're seeing pieces of the truth, it never did much with that precious information. Uh, they had a good reputation. People saw them as, oh, they're doing pretty good. Uh, but the Lord is looking at them and saying, no, uh, you think you're alive, but you are dead. During the era that we have described the 16th through the early 20th century, uh, you would find a number of small congregations. If you want to, if we're reviewing church history, uh, small congregations in England, America, and other parts of the world, of course, holding on, listen to what I'm saying, that we're holding on to the original doctrines of Christianity, the original. They had made no changes, no changes in baptism, no changes in who they prayed to, meaning uh, they were not praying to Mary. They were not praying to, uh, to the apostles. Uh, they believed in being baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. They did not change. They were holding on to the original doctrines of Christianity. However, Listen to my notes. Uh, most were uh, tiny and insignificant. They were considered insignificant groups. They were not the majority of which uh, a few people have ever heard, you know. Uh, so if you compared Sardis to the Catholic Church or other reformations, they would be considered insignificant. Uh, the Sardis Church, though, uh, is urged to be watchful. But as we'll see, they did not know what to watch for. They did not know what to watch for. 
that that sounds strange to me because if we're a church of Jesus Christ, if we're abiding, if we're holding on uh, to the truth uh, of the gospel, if we have not deviated from the originality of of it, we have not steered away, then we would know what to watch for. But this church didn't seem to know what to watch for. They lacked a vital key of understanding Bible prophecy. So immediately that tells me, even as a pastor, it's not enough for people to come together and sing and shout. We have to know the word of God. You have to get in tune with the word of God. I know you can shout. I know you can speak in tongues. I know you do all of that, but how much word have you hidden in your heart? How much understanding of your, of God's word do you have? We need to stay in his word. Two places we need to stay at. We need to stay on the altar, stay in prayer, and we need to stay in his word. So the lesson, the lesson that we learn from, from Sardis is sobering. Uh, and here, it, even in the beginning of this lesson, do not let the truth die. Hold on to the truth. Put that in the comment section, somebody. Do not let the truth die. If you know the truth, hold on to it. Don't be ashamed of it. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. One reason why so many people are bound in church, just simply bound, period, is because they have strayed away from the truth. Hold on to the truth. Hallelujah. Put it in the comment section. Exclamation point. Hold on to the truth. Don't let the truth die. Hold on to the truth. The truth that you have been given, bear fruit with the truth bear fruit with the truth or be blotted out of the book of life. That sums up the whole six verses. I'll say it again. Don't let go of the truth. Hold on to the truth you've been given. Bear fruit with the truth or be blotted out of the book of life. And we can, we can shut the lesson down now, but we're going to talk some more. Uh, sadly, the word of God indicates that despite the strong warnings Many believers at the end of the age will turn away from the truth. Yeah, the Bible says giving in to doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. Uh, let's read Let's read 2 Timothy. This is what Paul says to his son Timothy. 2 Timothy 4 and 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You mean to tell me people rather hear and obey and believe fables, made up stories, then believe the word of God. Hallelujah. Isaiah wrote uh, of a time before Christ would return and, and receive us uh, when truth would be fallen in the street. I'm going to take you there, Isaiah 59 and 14. This is, this is the prophet prophesying about the church. Yeah. Judgment is turned away backward and justice standeth afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. My Lord. My Lord. This is the prophet prophesying and say there's going to come a time before Christ returns where 
uh, truth is going to fall on his face, fall right in the middle of the street. So let's push forward in this. We have, we have more to talk about, uh, and we're talking about Sardis, the dead church. So out of all the churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, um, I think for me personally that Sardis is perhaps the, the saddest story. Uh, because people are walking around thinking that they're alive, but they're really dead. Uh, and the, the, greatest, the greatest example that comes to my mind of that, and is, you see it all on TV, they make movies of it, zombies, right? They're moving, they're walking, and in, and in some TV movies and series, they're talking, right? Uh, but the truth is, they're dead. Yeah. Uh, you could look at them and tell that they're dead. Uh, but this church had all the looks. Uh, but God says, you think you're alive, but you are dead. I think out of all the churches, perhaps uh, it, it's, it's just my opinion that Sardis was the saddest. Ephesus had left its first love, even Laodicea. Uh, was considered lukewarm, although God said, if, if I wish you would be hot or cold, because you're lukewarm, you'll make, I feel nauseous, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Thyatira and Pergamus, they struggled with false teaching, but Sardis, <laughs> Sardis is just called outright a dead, a dead church. And, and you know, when something is dead, uh you know, in, in real life scenario, when, when something dies unexpectedly, or they do what's called an autopsy. Uh, that's what you do with dead folk. Uh, hmm. Perhaps, um, perhaps we all have at one time or another made reference, you know, you've been somewhere, you've been to a service that was a dead service. You know, when people were there clapping, people were there singing. But in your heart and in your spirit, it felt just felt dead. You know, um, I've even visited places. Uh, there was a choir, there was preaching, uh, but in my heart, I'm saying, my Lord, there's 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 no anointing, there's no strength. This is just a dead congregation. Uh, you felt no passion. Uh, the preacher preached, and and they, you felt like he didn't even love the word he was preaching. You could just feel all of that. Uh, even the praise and worship was weak. You know, people were just sitting there looking, and and uh, but it's it's completely another thing to hear the head of the church, Christ died for the church, to hear Jesus say to hear Jesus say, for Jesus to write a letter and for the congregants to sit there and hear Jesus say, you all are dead. That's another thing. Hallelujah. My Lord. I'm going to read it again. Revelation 3 and 1. Unto the angel of the church. He's writing to the pastor. Write Sardis. Write these things. Saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. So unto the angel of the church, to the pastor of the church, he writes, the pastor of Sardis, these things, uh, saith he that hath seven spirits and seven stars. Uh, so as with the other letters, 
Jesus addresses the church in a unique manner. He says that he has the seven stars in his hand. Uh, we have to go back to Revelation 1 and 20. Uh, it is there that he says, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels, are the pastors of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Uh, so when he talks about the seven um, let's go back. When he talks about the seven stars, he's talking about his ministers, his pastors. Uh, it is comforting to know that uh, the Lord is holding his, his servants in his hand. The pastors are in his hand. It also means that the pastors are responsible. So when he writes the letter, he's addressing it to those who are responsible for the flock. Uh, and the seven spirits of God are mentioned um, throughout the book of Revelation. And we have to be careful that we do not walk away with the impression that there are seven different Holy Spirits uh, in the Bible. But rather, we have to understand this to be different operations of one and self-same spirit. And you know the number seven represents uh, often the fulfillment or completion. Um, so he says, I know your works. He says that to all that I know what you're doing. I know what's going on. Uh, except what follows is anything but encouraging. He says, uh, you have a name. You know, everybody knows about Sardis. You all have a name. Yeah. Um, you all churching in there. The choir is singing up in there. Uh, you have a name that you're alive. Listen to this. Could you imagine whatever day that letter was read to the congregation? You all have a name. Some of them must have been grinning from ear to ear. You have a name uh, that you all are alive. The next sentence, he says, but they are dead. I think it's important for us to realize that um, there are many out there who have a name. There are a whole lot of folks that are very um, popular and they have a name, but that's no guarantee of spiritual vitality. That's no guarantee that they are spiritually right and on point with the Lord or that they're really alive. That is really frightful because we're, some things we're calling alive are really dead. And some things that are dead we're calling alive. There are many churches that are viewed as most influential. I guess it's because they have thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, and there are many ministers who are viewed by the world as being dynamic and powerful, orators, tremendous leadership ability. Um, but I have to say this, uh, what really matters is not what people say about you, it's what God says about you. Yeah, I, I think we depend too much on public opinion. Oh yeah, they're doing it over there. But the most important thing is not what people are saying or the opinions of people. 
Um, it's what Jesus has to say. How do you, how does God, how does the Lord Jesus Christ feel about it? Jesus wasn't impressed. Jesus was not impressed with their choir. He was not impressed with the robes and how they looked to society. He was not impressed with the name that they made for themselves around town. He said, I know you, you have a name. <laughs> you have a name. Uh, people are saying everything is going on over there. He says, but you're dead. He, Jesus told them they were dead. My Lord, I'm getting chills now. All that clapping and singing and dancing and Jesus looks at them. Listen, it's the same thing when Jesus looked at the Pharisees and Sarisees and they were caught up in, in their rituals and ceremonialism and they thought they had it going on. And Jesus looked at them and said, you are empty sepulchers. My goodness, Revelation 3 and 2. Listen to these words. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Hmm. So it, it's, if there is a glimmer of hope in this verse, it, it does seem that there is a flicker of faith of a flame which which hasn't expired yet he says because he's talking about things that are ready to die so obviously everything or everyone was not necessarily dead in this congregation he says that some are ready to die which indicates that they may not be dead yet no so I'm feeling, and I have it in my notes, it's what a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of a living God. He's examined your works. Uh, he's examining his children. And he has not found them perfect. And remember, uh, when Jesus walked the earth, he instructed in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 and 48, I'll take you there. He says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, perfect. Now, I, I need to discuss this briefly because when you talk about perfection in the Bible, it deals with maturity, development, being complete, uh, uh, coming to a finished product, wanting nothing necessary to completeness, meaning that all, all you need is what God gives you. Uh, our completeness is in him, perfection, um, to consummate uh, integrity and the virtue that would be above your flesh, perfection, um, to properly exegete the text in Matthew, uh, it's really talking about developing the love, the same kind of love that God exemplifies. And in doing that, you'll live your life uh, like Christ because he was perfect. Be ye perfect. So he's telling them, and I don't have time to really pull that text apart, um, but that text is, is talking about being, be like me, be like the God that you serve. Uh, mimic him, copy him have the same integrity that he has. And now we, there's no way that we can be God, but we can really attempt to be like him. Uh, 
Does God do this? Would God do that? No. So remember, he says, remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. I'm in verse number three now. Revelation three and three and hold fast and repent. It goes that word again. He's telling the church to repent. Remember how you received and heard. Remember what was planted originally in your heart, in your minds, and hold on to that. Hold on to the truth. Don't mix it with anything and repent. He says, if you won't watch, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on you as a thief. And remember, uh, he's coming like a thief in the night. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So uh, the remedy here or means of escape from spiritual death. Listen, the remedy for spiritual death is similar to the formula God gave the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus. First, there has to be a remembrance of former things. We have strayed so far away from the original. Yes, all of a sudden, and I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but when I got the Holy Ghost, uh, we were taught it is necessary. You must be born again. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now people are confused because one preacher down the street will say, oh, you don't need the Holy Ghost. Just just come on, uh, repeat after me, and you're saved. You'll make it in. Uh, so there, there are so many variations. But Jesus is telling Sardis, uh, repent. Uh, this is why you're dying. Some are ready to die and the others are dead because you strayed away from what was planted in the beginning. Jesus gave the church at Ephesus. He said, uh, remember, turn, go back to your first love. And here in Sardis, he's telling them to remember the former things. So listen, listen to my notes. The church and its minister. I can't just tell the church to repent and I do whatever I want to do. So I'm going to say it like this. The church and the pastor has to go back to the first love experience and remember how they received and heard the message. Mm -hmm. The writer of the Hebrews warns us. Uh, he warns us that uh, to remember the former days and our conversion and how they joyfully overcame the trials of life. I'm going to take you there. I got to take you there. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 32 through 39. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye are illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion on me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence." which have great recompense of reward for ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. 
but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. We are not among them that get the truth and pull back and go back into falsehood or start believing the lie. No, but we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So they were warned. He's warning the church not to cast away. Don't cast away your confidence or shrink back into destruction. Don't go back. That song is ringing in my spirit. We don't sing it no more. We need to go back to sing it. I won't go back. I won't go back. My Lord's been good to me. Jesus has set me free. I won't go back. So uh, remember in the parable of the sower and the different soils that the word or the seed would be deposited in, Jesus explained that there are uh, some who would receive the word with joy, but would only believe for a while. And in a little time, they fall away. I'm going to take you to that one verse in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, where it says, They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root. They haven't allowed, the word is not taking root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation falls away. So this may seem, this, this what I'm about to say might seem a little bit off topic, but this is one reason I think, personally, uh, that the church should observe communion. Yeah. Uh, and and unfortunately, there are some churches that don't do communion at all. Some churches may do it once a year or once every two years. Uh, but we were taught here uh, under, under Bishop Bonner, uh, and I was taught where I originally come from with my father, who was my first pastor, uh, we should have communion regularly. As a matter of fact, here in D.C., we have communion twice a month. Uh, and here's the reason. He said, as often as you do this, you remember me, right? And I know some preachers, before they have communion they, um, with the saints, you, they have to bring the members in the office and give them a chance to confess, right? Like his office becomes a confession booth. Um, and the pastor is not God. The Bible says a man should examine himself. It don't say uh, the pastor calls him in and gives him an opportunity to repent. Um, and I understand the reasoning behind why the pastor does that. Uh, but what you do on that altar, my job is to preach and teach the word of God and make you aware. So when you come to the Lord to take communion, You've heard the full counsel of God. Examine yourself. Judge yourself, lest ye be judged with those who don't know God. And I'm I'm paraphrasing, but this is one thing. I, I think the church should observe the ordinance of communion on a regular basis. And in so doing so, there is a remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? Not only his sacrifice, but the expectation of his coming kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because not only did he die for us, he said, even before he shed his blood, I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, 
ye may be also in my father's house. There are many mansions. He's coming back for his church. And he opens up the book of Revelation by dealing with his church. Because when judgment comes, it must first come to the house of God. Get right, church, and let's go home. So he says now, this is the letter from Jesus to the church of Sardis. The church is being told to hold fast and repent. And repentance is more than mere confession. So somebody coming in my office and confessing is all good. And I'm, I'm not a Catholic priest. I'm not going to tell you to rub the beads and do 10 Hail Marys. Or, you know, I could, I could hear what you have to say. Uh, but repentance is more than just confessing. Repentance is more than confession. Put it in the comment section. Con repentance is more than just confessing. Repentance involves, listen, write it down. Repentance involves the will, the heart, and the mind. The will, the heart, and the mind. Repentance involves the will, the heart, and the mind. It's a, for it's, it's a forsaking of sin. Yeah, it's a forsaking of the sin. It's turning completely away from the sin. Not just an, an admission of, but I'm going to turn away from it. I won't do it anymore. There are many who are willing to admit the guilt, uh, but very few who are willing to repent because, listen, listen to my notes. Repentance also includes restitution. Mm -hmm. Where and whenever possible, just like Paul uh, told the Ephesian church, listen, Paul told the Ephesian church uh, in Ephesians 4 and 28, I'm going to read it for you. Let him that stole steal no more. Don't do it no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. So, um, Again, there are many who are willing to admit, but few are really willing to repent. And it includes restitution. Uh, let him that stole steal no more. So something that should be noted about each church in the book of Revelation, of those seven churches in Asia Minor, um, each church that was rebuked is that God asked them to repent. Every church he rebuked, God asked them to repent. Each church that was rebuked, God asked them. So God always would give you a chance to get it right. He asked them to repent. There are typically two responses mm -hmm, to, the, to an appeal. When God says, repent, children, repent. If my people who are called by my name, there are two responses. Some people get angry. Yeah, who are you talking to, right? The, the, the preacher will get a word to tell people to repent, right? The prophet gets up. If he's a real prophet and God gives him a, a word of repentance, people will get angry and move further away, while others will take the opportunity to get closer to God and have fellowship restored. Because when you repent, fellowship is restored. Fellowship is restored. 
So we are warned in numerous places not to despise the chastening of the Lord. The book of Hebrews has said it brings about a more peaceable fruit of righteousness. Mm -hmm. Listen to what Hebrews says, the 12th chapter and the 10th verse. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. He, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, chastises us for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. That's powerful. We should never, we should never take the opportunity to repent for granted. Don't get mad when, when that word repent comes across your path. Don't get angry. Hallelujah. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. So that, that because the word of God is very clear that God is the one who grants repentance. He's the one. Man does not determine his own repentance. You can't say, well, that's enough. I won't do no more. I won't give up no more. No, you're not the one that determines that. God determines that. God is the one that grants repentance. Man does not determine his own repentance. Quickly, let's go to Acts 11 and 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance. My God, unto life. Romans 2 and 4. Let's go there. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee, the goodness of God leadeth thee, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Second mm -hmm. Timothy 2 and 25. I wish I had the time to really dig into this. Each one of those uh, scriptures are a lesson within itself, but it says in Second Timothy 2 and 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them, if God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Yes. So it's God that grants repentance. I've turned from it and it's God that, that brings me to this place, but I've got to be willing to let go of what I need to let go of. That's why we read over and over again, right? Today, if you hear his voice, today is the day of salvation. So there's no promise of future repentance. There's no promise. So, you know, all these people, a lot of, especially church folk thinking, I got all the time I need to get it together. No, tomorrow, and we used to hear this when I was growing up in church, every altar call, there was not one altar call back when I was coming up in church where you would not hear the preacher say, tomorrow is not promised to you. And, and, and maybe it's because the message has so, so much changed from, from the gospel and salvation to prosperity. Because when I was growing up in church, the preacher was preparing you to leave here. But it seems like there's so much preaching today and you really get the feeling like the, the preaching is preparing us to stay here. You can have the money. 
You can have the pie in the sky. You can do this. But salvation is about preparing us for future glory, for what Christ has in store for. No, he doesn't want me to be broken, disgusted, and poor. No, he doesn't want all of that. He's able to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He takes care of his children. But what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Salvation is about being prepared to stay with Jesus forever. So this is why I'm saying don't don't put everything off for tomorrow. I'm talking to somebody. Don't say, well, I'll get it together tomorrow because there's no promise of future repentance. Dead men cannot repent. I've never seen a dead man on the altar saying, Lord, forgive me. So if God is calling you to repent now, then now is the time to respond. Hallelujah. If God is telling you to come out of it now, then now is the time to come out of it because tomorrow is not promised to you. The day that you hear my voice, harden not your heart. I'm going to say it one more time. If God is calling you to repent now, and the Lord was telling them, repent. Then now is the time to respond. Not tomorrow, not later, not next week. There may never be a tomorrow. You may close your eyes tonight and not see tomorrow. So do it now. Hallelujah. There's another song in my spirit. Get right with God and do it now. Get right with God. He will show you how down at the cross where he shed his blood. Get right with God. Get right, get right with God. My Lord, I feel like having church. Yes, Lord. Revelation 3 and 4. Let's go there now. He says, thou hast a few names, though, in Sardis. There's a few of y'all in there who haven't died yet. You're still holding on. He says, you have not defiled your garments. He says, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So listen, here again, there's a vital lesson for us to learn because some folks are really caught up in the numbers, right? We are very impressed when you see churches and there are thousands of people in there Right, and you look at the little churches as uh, as being passe and not successful. Right, yet we read in the Bible that Noah preached for 120 years and over, and only eight people were saved. Uh, but he fulfilled his assignment. We look too much at the numbers, and we're impressed. We're so quick to be impressed by the numbers. But here again is a vital lesson. We should never look at the majority as our basis for truth. Listen, history, especially biblical history, tells us if you follow the scriptures that the majority has never been the basis of righteousness and truth. Remember the days of Noah as first stated. Eight souls were saved by water. Listen, I'm in the word. Remember the days of Lot? Only a handful escaped the fire and brimstone. What about the spies that went to spy out the promised land? Only two of them came back with a good report. So don't get tangled up 
uh, with the masses. I, you know, I love it when I see thousands of people rejoicing, but don't be so impressed until you forget narrow is the way. Just because the room is full doesn't mean that everybody is where they should be with Jesus Christ. I could go on and on, but even Jesus, listen, even Jesus said that the, that straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that will find it. And of course, I'm not suggesting that only you and I, <laughs> uh, just, just you, just my family and your family are the heirs of salvation. I'm not suggesting that. I'm, I don't want us to be small-minded. Uh, he's got sheep in other folds that you're not even aware of. But uh, the book of Revelation indicates that we will come from every tribe and tongue, every nation to sing praises of God in heaven. I'll take you there. Uh, Revelation 5 and 9. Uh, it says, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, my Lord. <laughs> uh, but what, I, what I'm saying is this. Uh, there has always been a remnant of people who have served God and been faithful. There's always been. Uh, and Sardis was no different. Uh, you, uh, he said, there are a few names. There are, there are a few of you who are, who are holding on. And I would suggest that today's church is similar. Yep, we have mega churches. Yep, we have all of these uh, concerts and all of these conferences. Yep, we got a whole lot of that going on. Uh, but there's still a remnant. Uh, don't believe everything that you see. There, there, there is still a remnant. There are millions and millions of people. Listen to me. Millions and millions of people all over this world that profess to be born again Christians. And they claim, and they're claiming that they know they'll go to heaven when they die. And yet Jesus is asking the question, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? Luke 18 and 18. Luke 18 and 18. This is Jesus talking. And I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That's a powerful question. I'm going to leave you with that. Go over it during your private time. All these thousands and millions of people professing salvation, and Jesus is asking the question, uh, yet when I come, shall he find faith on the earth? Revelation 3 and 5. Hmm. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, I, just a little sidebar here, because um, we've been talking a lot about the fact that Jesus is coming again, and he is. So we have to understand that when Jesus returns, for those who cry out to him, 
day and night. That's in Matthew 18 and 7. He's going to put an end to the distress and the suffering received at the hands of a hostile and evil world. He's going to take them or take us to himself. And, and uh, you'll find that. And in, in, you know what? Let me take you there. John, the 14th chapter. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Uh, it says, And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong, I'm John chapter 14. I went to chapter 2 for some reason. John 14, 2 and 3. I apologize. It says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I prepare a place for you. I will come again. That's rapture. And receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. That's rapture. So at his coming, the faithful of his his faithful children will be caught up together to meet him in the air. My God, that's 1 Thessalonians 4 and 17. And then God will administer his judgment and wrath on the wicked. We're not going to read it, but that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, and then verse number 9. My Lord, I've got to hasten on. I'm already briefly running out of time. So the world, uh, the world is in trouble. The world has spent all of this time pushing God away. And I, I, I must say that the church, many in the church have spent years pushing the truth away or suddenly rejecting the truth. So he's telling them to hold fast, repent, hold fast and repent, hold fast and repent, hold fast, hallelujah, and repent. I've got so many things rushing through my head right now. I'm trying to decide which direction to go into. I feel the Holy Ghost I feel the power of God ministering here. Um, the Lord is making a, an appeal to those. Strengthen that which remain, those things that are ready to die. Let's see if we can get some people to come back to the altar. Those who have sat in church for all of these years and backslid. I'm wondering, even as a pastor, how many people in the church are sitting there acting like they're alive, but inside they're rotting away. They're dead. Hallelujah. They've died. And the Lord is saying, repent. Come back and do your first works over. Come back. Do your first works over. Come back and do your first works over. Be watchful. I'm in Revelation 3 and 2. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Why? 
because I have not found your works perfect before God. Everybody else is bragging about you, but I have not found your works perfect. In no way, shape, or form, or fashion do I see in the word of God, and I have in my notes, Jesus endorsing a passive approach, I'm sorry, a passive approach to repentance. Not in the word. Jesus didn't say, uh, please be born again. Pretty please be born again. Um, Maybe you can take another avenue. He says, ye must be born again. You have to do this. You have to repent. Yes, there's, there's no other way. If you try to do it any other way, you are a thief and a robber. So he, he does not tell them to rest in assurance in their past conversion. Oh, yes, you, you, uh, you got baptized 20 years ago and you got the Holy Ghost, but you're dead now. Yes, 30 years ago you came to church and gave your life to Christ, but you're dead now. What happened between now and then? Something happened. And now Jesus is saying, get it right. Why? Because I'm coming back for my church. He does not tell them to rest in assurance of their past conversion. Nope. This is what he says. I'm taking you back. Revelation 3 and 3. Revelation 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. This in itself should refute the notion uh, that God preordains who will be saved. And I know I just made a controversial statement. He is sovereign, yes. He knows every decision that we're going to make, yes. He knows those who are going to say yes. And he knows those who are going to say no. But I made that statement because of this. The idea of a name being blotted out of the book of life is not just mentioned here to the church in Sardis. But a similar thing is said in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verse 32. It says, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. 33rd verse, Exodus 32 and 33, then says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever have sinned against me, whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So, and now I said this because people tend to rest on that once saved, always saved. And immediately they say, well, before the foundation of the world, God knew he was going to save me. Uh, Yes, he knew. He also knew those who would get saved and walk away from their salvation. So I can't get up because of that and say, once saved, always saved. Because that, my friend, is like saying, okay, you got the Holy Ghost now. You've given your life to Christ. But if you go back uh, to a world of sin, you'll still make it into heaven. And that's not true. I just gave you Old Testament scripture where God says, and he's talking about his own children, whoever have sinned against me, Exodus 33 and 33, 
32 rather in 33, whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Now, if you follow the Old Testament, Israel gave God a hard time, right? As soon as they got something from the Lord, they turned away and started worshiping other gods. And the Lord said, whoever sins against me, I'm going to blot their name out of my book, my book. So again, this predates New Testament Christianity, but I just read. Mm -hmm. And so it's consistent with the book that exists from the foundation of the world. The threat of removal from the book of life <laughs> is directly related to sin and rebellion. So listen, if the church, those who are claiming to belong to Jesus Christ, yet they are continuing in sin, living their own way, doing what's right in their own eyes, and rebellion, literally with their lifestyle, some even with their mouth saying, no, I'm not doing that anymore. That is directly attached to the fact that your name can be removed or will be removed from the book of life. This is why the Bible says some will come and stand before God and say, I've cast out demons in your name. I perform miracles. And he's going to look at them and say, depart from me. I know you not, you worker of iniquity. Perhaps then he'll be looking in the, I don't see your name. Your name has been removed. Why? Because you continue to walk in sin and rebellion. There are some who try to make a distinction between the book of life as it relates to salvation uh, and the book as it relates to physical life or death. Um, and I think people do that to try to get around the true meaning of the word of God to make themselves come. Oh, God didn't really mean that. God says what he means and he means what he says, you know? So they, they try to skirt around it because people rather believe a person can forfeit, uh, or I should say it like this, rather believing that a person can forfeit their eternal life with Christ, they would much rather believe, oh, it's only a physical death. But it's not. <laughs> if, I, if, if you live right, heaven belongs to you. If you continue in sin, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No. If I rebel against the truth, if I, if I continue in sin, my name will be blotted out of the book of life. Hebrews says it like this, is appointed unto every man once to die after death comes judgment. So here's a question. Are the names of the righteous blotted out when they die? That would make no sense whatsoever. So because my word tells me none but the righteous shall see God. So to suggest that when a believer dies, his name is blotted out of the book, it seems incredibly outlandish and irresponsible. They who endure to the end, the same, shall be saved. You got to keep your name in that book. How do you do it? By staying humble before the Lord, living a holy life before him, allowing him to live this life through me. 
and not rebelling against him, not, not remaining or insisting in remaining in a world of sin. In, 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 the book of, in the book of Psalms, the writer links the book of life with righteous living. Yeah, and being blotted out as relative to sin and iniquity. I'm going to take you there. Um, Psalm 69 and 27. I'm sorry. My mind is racing. 69 and 27. Psalm 69 and 27. Add iniquity unto their iniquity and let them not come unto thy righteousness. Mm -hmm. The 28th verse of the 69th Psalm says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So that takes me into immediately where Paul says uh, darkness and light cannot mix. You cannot mix darkness with light, right? Uh, and that's what we tend to see a lot of times. The church is trying to say what's, what's wrong is actually right. Uh, and what's, what's right now is becoming wrong. Oh, don't believe that, but the word has not changed. So at the end of the book, at the end of the Bible, a similar warning is given to those who would take away from the words of the prophecy, people who are trying to change and alter the word of God. Yeah, it's happening. There are even Bibles now being written where scriptures are taken out, taken out. Did you not know there's, there's a homosexual Bible? Yes, there's a Bible just for homosexuals. Um, and it didn't just start there, but any, any scripture dealing with homosexuality has been changed or taken out. I can take you back further than this. There's a slave Bible where every scripture that dealt with the children of Israel, the slaves being delivered, was taken out, right? You got it. God is going to deal with those who have changed and altered his word. The end of the book, a warning is given. Listen, I'm going to read it for you if you don't believe me. Revelation 22 and 19. And this applies even to the preacher that stopped preaching the gospel. To that teacher that stopped teaching the truth about God's word. To that preacher that altered the word of God. To, to make it okay to have slaves and to abuse other human beings. God is going to deal with you. Yeah. Revelation 22 and 19. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part. Listen. God will take away his part out of the book of life. Why is God being so harsh? Because God's word is life. And if you change my word, you are denying the people of experiencing that abundant life, that more abundantly. You can't mess with God's word. God says what he means, and he means what he says. I'm going to start from the beginning. Revelation 22 and 19. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. My Lord. Hallelujah. So, and I'm almost through. I'm getting ready to wrap up. Though the possibility of having your name blotted out is raised. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, this verse 
this verse leaves very little room, very little room for doubt that one can have his or her name removed from the book of life. It's a sobering thought indeed when you read it. Uh, Revelation 3 and 6. Revelation 3 and 6 says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, as always, Jesus is making an appeal to those who have spiritual ears to respond to his message. I don't want my name taken out of the book of life. I don't want to sit in church thinking that I'm alive and I'm really dead. So we got to check ourselves. Lord, am I where I should be? Lord, am, am, am I really your... Sometimes we got to go and check. I don't want to be sitting here as a zombie thinking I'm, I'm alive when I'm really dead. No. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Hear the appeal tonight. Those who have spiritual ears to respond to his message. Right? We would do very well to listen to what God is saying to us, lest we fall into a, a terrible mess. So we have to strive to have a, an alive church. We have to be living, a living church. We have to be lively stones. I don't want to die. I don't want to sit in church and die. Why sit ye here and die? Hallelujah. I want to be spiritually alive. I want to be spiritually alert. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. And the only way to ensure this is to abide in Christ. Stay with God. Hold on to him. Hallelujah. Hold on. Don't let go. Don't sit in church and die. The devil is a liar. I didn't get saved to lose out. I got saved because I wanted to make it into the Lord. So I'm getting ready to close right here. What are we learning, preacher? What do you want me to take away from this, Bishop Fields? Well, um, for your consideration, the very first lesson that we need to hold on to from this, what I, uh, Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6, right, is, is very simple. The Lord knows the works of every congregation. Write it down. The Lord knows the work of every congregation. Just about every church so far, he says, I know thy works, right? As with all the churches of, of uh, Asia Minor, the Lord knew the works of the congregation, just, just like the others. He knew the works in Sardis, right? Um, he says, I found your works complete. And he says, I have not, I'm sorry, found your works complete in my sight. So, he sees everything the church is doing. He sees how many, how many dinners we've sold, how many tickets you sold. He sees all of that. How many songs, how many praise breaks. He sees all of that, right? He sees everything, but he knows who's alive and he knows who's really dead. My God. So we need to pray in that area, Lord. You know my works and I don't want my living to be in vain. I, I don't want to sit here and then lose out. I don't want God to say that about my works. Consider this. Consider this. He says to the church in Sardis, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. The second lesson I take away from Sardis, it 
it, it deals with the matter of personal deception, really because they thought they were alive, but they were dead. So how are we measuring life in Christ? How are we measuring that? It is possible then, this scripture here that we read, then it is possible to think that you're doing a great job when in reality, in the eyes of Christ, you're failing. Something to think about. To the church in Sardis, the Lord said, this is what Jesus said to them. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So we might deduce from this statement that either the, the members, listen to my notes. We can deduce from this statement that either the members of the congregation thought highly of their local work or other churches looked upon the work in Sardis as being a living and thriving work. However, no amount of good reputation can alter the reality of a congregation being dead in the eyes of the Lord. Lord, keep us alive. I don't want to die. I don't want to be a preacher and, but, and dead on the inside. I don't want to be singing in the choir right? And doing all this dancing and God considers me dead. He said, but I have, there's a few of y'all in Sardis who have not soiled your garments. So that means so those people that died, they wouldn't stay away. Listen, the only way for a person to be alive one day and dead later on is because they would not stay away from what they were delivered from. Or they were playing with dead things. What are dead things? Anything that's outside of Christ. Hallelujah. In verse 4, Revelation 3 and 4 says, You have still a few names in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. Those who have not compromised, those who have not soiled their garments, they're holding on. He said, They're going to walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So the reference to members who have not soiled their garments, hallelujah, may indicate, listen to my notes, that the rest of the congregation was living sinfully within their lives. So those who remained alive managed to stay away from sin, managed to separate themselves from sin, right? So it indicates that those who had died, right, they were living sinfully within their lives. So listen, if we are allowing sin to dominate our lives, then hmm, listen, I'm going to read my notes directly. Then we will steal away the life of the church. So in other words, if, if, and, and if any church, any congregation allows sin to dominate, right? All of a sudden, everything is okay. Just do what you want to do. Then we're stealing away the life. Eventually, little by little, we're dying. And, and eventually, we'll just be dead. We'll be going through the motions. But when Jesus comes, we'll be left behind. So I'm going to say this. No matter how great we think we're doing, if we are soiling our garments then we're only deceiving ourselves. I'm going to heaven, right? But you're deceiving yourself if you are still living in sin. The last lesson 
requires change. Yeah. The last lesson requires change. I'll rehash. I'm closing out the first lesson. The Lord knows the work of every congregation. The second lesson is deals with the matter of personal deception. Don't be deceived. Now, the third lesson requires change. Three things. Wake up. Remember. Repent. Somebody put it in the comment section. Wake up. Remember. Repent. So take notice that Jesus says in the, the second verse, uh, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. When he says be watchful, that's like saying wake up, wake up. Mm -hmm. So he's saying wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So the church in Sardis and, and some congregations today uh, are in grave danger. They are members of the church who were spiritually weak and about to die. Wake up. Take notice. You see a man overtaken in the fault, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So Jesus commanded, he's commanding the congregation as a whole to wake up and take care of the weaker brethren. Help them. Sin has crept into the house. The devil, hallelujah, was gaining victory over this church. Hallelujah. The devil is a liar. Wake up and let's get it together. Wake up. Remember from which you have come. Remember the word that has been planted. Remember the truth and repent. So Jesus is commanding them saying, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it, hold on to it and repent. That's verse number three. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. Thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So, again, there are members who are spiritually weak and getting ready to die. Sin had crept in and Jesus is telling them, wake up. Wake up. Now listen, he that overcome, what happens to the overcomer? He that overcomes the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I feel the preacher coming on. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. So in order to overcome the sin and immorality of the world, we have to always remember the word. What does his word say about this? Does his word speak against this? If God said it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says don't do it, then I shouldn't do it. God's word is our compass to keep us on the path to heaven. God's word, not man's words. If I stray from God's word, I'm in danger of soiling my garment. If I don't stay in his word, I will soil my garment. If I don't abide in him and allow him to abide in me, I will eventually soil my garment. So we have to turn to his word. When I'm weak, turn to his word. When I'm spiritually hungry, turn to his word. We got to turn back and remember his words and repent of our sinful ways. 
Now, for lack of a better phrase, I'm fearful that many churches are, are failing to learn from the lessons seen within the disobedience of Sardis. They, they'll read the word and see what happens and they'll go on and say, oh, that was for them. No, nope. it's for us to learn and see what God wants. He that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to us. So here it is. And I'm closing out with this. Every one of us should examine our lives and our works. Yes, our lives and our works to make certain that we are not spiritually dead, separated from the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Yes, make sure we're connected. Hallelujah. I don't want to lose my connection because if I lose my connection, I'll sit right here in church and be dead as a doornail. Stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to his word. Stay connected. Stay connected to Jesus. Somebody put that in the comment section. Stay connected to Jesus. I don't want to die in my spiritual man. I want to be renewed day by day. I want to see Jesus. I don't want the Lord to look at me and say, you got a reputation, but you're dead. Nope, Lord, keep my name in the book. Hallelujah. I want to be right. I want to be whole. Who am I talking to tonight? I want to pray a special prayer for you. Hallelujah. For the church as a whole, all of us need to get closer to the Lord. All of us need to examine ourselves and make sure that we have that true, solid connection. Nothing has been severed. Father, I pray for everyone, including myself, who has connected with this lesson on tonight. Lord, help us not to be so self-absorbed until we miss the message on tonight, to search our hearts, to search our minds, to check our connection, to make sure that we're yet connected to you. Hallelujah. Forgive us of our sins. All that is not like you, O oh God, take it away from us. Renew, restore, replenish. Oh God, if anyone has fell out of fellowship, oh God, help us to find our way back to you. In the name of Jesus. We want to be right. We want to be whole. We know you're coming back and you'll be here soon. Any day now, you'll crack the sky. Help us, Father. Help him, help her. In the name of Jesus, restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. Create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit within us. Blot out of our transgressions. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. You said you would hear us from heaven. You would forgive our sin and heal the land. Touch us now, one by one. Going to every home, whatever car they're sitting in, whatever room they're sitting in, lay your hands upon us in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time. If you want to plant a seed in this ministry, technician will put that information on the screen for you. Plant that seed, won't you? You want to pay your tithes, give an offering, make that donation. Those of you who are in the Bronx, Refuge Temple Annex, you may use 
Givelify. The Lord bless you tonight. I want to thank you for your patience and your time. And I pray that I've said something tonight that has been a blessing to you. We're still in our 21 day fast. It ends on the 30th of this month. Continue to join me, won't you? From six to six, six in the morning till six in the evening, eating that one meal a day. Those of you who are taking medication, you may use the Daniel fast. That's no meats and no sweets. The Lord bless you. We're coming back to the book of Revelation, a letter from Jesus on next week, same time. I love you so much and I'm so anxious. I can't wait to see you again. But until then, be careful, be prayerful, and be holy. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.